Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Brian Bible Church this morning. This morning, I want to talk about the purpose of pain. You know, I know we all have had a very painful week this week with the loss of our dear sister Betty Sue Hill. And it certainly breaks our heart to see Glenn in such pain. So I thought it'd be profitable for us this morning to talk about the purpose of pain and see if we can try to line our thinking up biblically on this issue. You know, as Christians, we are blessed. Because of your faith in Christ, you know that your sins have been forgiven. Your trust in the death of Yeshua the Christ for your sins gives you the assurance that when your days here on earth are over, you move into the dwelling place of the Father, the place we call heaven. But have you noticed that you're not blessed with having never to go through pain and difficulties that unbelievers face? Christians still deal with severe pain in this life. Christians have bad marriages. They go through financial difficulties. They lose their jobs. They still suffer physically. Christians get sick. They have accidents like everyone else. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean you're never going to lose your job. It doesn't mean that you're going to be immune to cancer or tornadoes or financial ruin or loss of a loved one in death. Why is it important to understand this truth? Isn't it obvious that everyone suffers from the pains of life? Well, we need to understand this truth that the pains of life are inevitable even for believers because there are people out there who would have you believe there's something wrong with you if you as a Christian are experiencing pain in your life. And there are others that suggest that once you attain a certain level of maturity, all pain and problems disappear. They claim that poor health and poverty and every other pain of life that occurs, occurs because you don't have enough faith. And that God is going to continue to bring trials in your life until you straighten up your act and grow up spiritually. The fact is, everyone will experience pain. It doesn't matter who you are. Nearly 200 years ago, Thomas Jefferson wrote, The art of life is the avoiding of pain. That sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, none of us really looks for pain. I mean, we don't go out of our way to try to experience it. We really do try to avoid it. But it is an important part of life. And in our experience, there are many times when we have chosen not to avoid pain. Take, for instance, childbirth. Did you women think that was going to be a cakewalk? Some of you have experienced it more than others. Sharon? <clears throat> but you know, you still choose to have babies. Women do it all the time. Every woman knows it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Yet they still have children. And think about the pain and sorrow that a mother and father experience as they seek to raise those children. Someone has said when children are little, they step on your feet. When they grow up, they step on your heart. 
I know many dedicated Christian parents who have broken, wayward children, and it just breaks their heart. If everybody really lived to avoid pain, no one would ever get married. No one would ever raise a family. Yet people do it all the time. You know what I, the conclusion I came to this weekend, the stronger your love, the greater the pain. People I've prayed this week, I don't think I've ever in my life prayed for anything harder than I have this week. I don't think I've ever hurt quite as bad as I have this week. And I realize it's because I love these people. You know, there are there is some pain and suffering that comes because of disobedience. But we have to understand that not all pain is a result of sin. Pain is a danger signal, and we need to be thankful for it. Physically, if we never felt pain, we could die from neglect. But what good is pain to us spiritually? This is what I want to focus our attention on this morning. And I want to give you three points to help understand that pain is beneficial to our Christian lives, to our maturity, to our growth. I want us to understand that pain, three things. First of all, it's certain. You're not going to get away from it. It's sovereignly administered and it's beneficial. Pain in this life is certain, people. Job, a man who was acquainted with pain, said this, man who was born of woman. You know, that includes just about everybody other than Adam, maybe. Is short-lived and full of turmoil. Job also said, For man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. God promises that life is going to have pain in it. Solomon put it this way, Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. Believers, the Bible does not teach a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. That is an abomination. It clearly teaches that pain is a part of life, even for the Christian. The question is never, will we have pain? But rather, how will we deal with the pain that life brings? You've heard me say over and over how important our thinking is. How you think affects how you live. And the Bible has much to say about our thinking because our thought process affects our actions. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks within himself, so is he. You're a product of your thinking. The mind is the command center which determines our conduct based upon what influences our thinking. And a believer has to guard his thinking to maintain a biblical viewpoint. Everything in the world coming against us is anti-biblical. We've got to work to keep a biblical point of view. Proverbs Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart. And that's talking about your thinking process. Not your muscle that pumps blood. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. We can interpret this way. Guard your mind above everything else you do because it will determine the kind of life that you live. If we think a certain way, we'll act a certain way. Now, I think if I asked you your thoughts about the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, hopefully you all would say it's wrong. 
Hopefully you'd even get a little bit incensed and you'd have a little passion about it. But I would dare say that we've all bought into it more than we know. We may think it's wrong as a doctrine, but we like the idea. We like the idea of an easy, pain-free life. You know, we tend to think that God has forsaken us when we go through pain. Subconsciously, if not outright, we bought into the teaching of Zig Ziglar. He's a success motivation speaker. He's widely used and accepted by Christians and pastors. He says this, As you accept yourself, you will see yourself as a person who truly deserves the good things in life. Now, the pastors jump on the bandwagon of this guy. There's something wrong, people. Okay? You truly deserve the good things in life. That's the attitude that gets you in trouble. Because I think most believers buy that. They think they deserve the good things in life. They deserve certain things from God. I'm a Christian. He owes me. The word deserves means to be worthy. You're worthy. And I think that most of the church believes that we are worthy of God's grace. We're worthy of His goodness. We think that God owes us. And in this twisted view, listen, God is the debtor and man is the creditor. We often think God owes us. He owes us hell. As a matter of fact, He owes us 90 years of a healthy life. Or He owes us a certain level of wealth. We deserve to have enough money to meet all our greeds. A nice home and several cars. and We deserve trouble-free children. A loving and faithful spouse. The list of things that God owes us goes on and on. Be honest, do you feel that there are certain things that God owes you? Why? It's because you think you're worthy. You see, believer, the only thing we deserve, the only thing we are worthy of, is wrath. That's all God owes us, is wrath. The soul that sinneth it shall die. And if you really understood the depth of your own sin, and if you understood the holiness of God, we would thank God every day for every breath we breathe. We would thank God for His mercy and grace no matter how much pain we're in. Because we don't deserve to be alive. So pain in life is certain. But you've got to get this next point. That's self, number one is self-evident. Okay? Number two, maybe not. All pain is sovereignly administered. This is where we're talking about getting our thinking right. If we can wrap our heads around this. See, without an understanding of God's sovereignty over our pain, we cannot understand the meaning of our suffering. We must learn to think biblically. Your stability in Christ in life is related to your attitudes that you have. It's not related to your circumstances. They're going to come and go. It's related to how you think. And when you think right, the circumstances won't rock you so bad. Rabbi Kushner, in his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, that's a mistitle if there ever was one. Good people. Who are these good people that bad things happen to? He says this, God wants the righteous to live peaceful, happy lives. But sometimes... Even he can't bring that about. 
It's too difficult even for God to keep cruelty and chaos from claiming their innocent victims. This man is a fool. Okay? He's a fool. He doesn't know my God. It's too difficult for God. God's up there saying, oh man, why did that? I'm so sorry. How'd that get, how'd that happen? Oh, I wish I could do something. I just, you know, God is frustrated, impotent. What the heck kind of a God is that? Have you ever read the Bible, Kushner? Have you ever read it? He goes on to say, if God is both powerful and good, why is there so much suffering, so much pain, so much heartache in the world? God is either good and not all powerful, or He's powerful and not all good. You can't have it both ways. See, it seems the majority of the church is bought into this lie. And I think in an attempt to shield God from accusations that He's not loving, we make Him impotent in the face of pain. Oh, God's sorry. He wishes He could help you. We think it's better to comfort the afflicted with the idea that God's full of sympathy. He just wishes your pain would go away, but He just can't do anything about it. You know, pain and suffering can often cause believers to question the goodness of God. Have you ever asked the question, if God loves me, why am I going through this? Christian's argument assumes that a good God necessarily wouldn't want His creation to suffer. This assumption certainly appeals to us. Wouldn't it be great if God's goodness required that we experience no suffering? We have no pain in life. It's just, you know, we get saved and everything is wonderful. People will be lining up out the door to get saved, you know. Wow, I want a good life. I want a trouble-free life. But the love and the goodness of God do not preclude Him from allowing suffering and pain. The real difficult question is not, how could God allow us to suffer? The real question is, how can He allow us to take a breath in His infinite holiness of who He is? How can He ever allow us one second of joy and peace and contentment when we have violated His holiness with our sinfulness? That God would ever give us pleasure. How could He do that? But our thinking is so unbiblical. We think He owes us. God is sovereign. You have to understand that. That is a teaching from the Bible from the beginning through the end. And if you don't understand the sovereignty of God, I would encourage you to read that book. He's sovereign over everything that happens. Men's thoughts, men's actions, and the Lord stirred up the Medes and sent them in to teach Israel. How did He do that? He controls the will. All these guys said, let's go over and give Israel a hard time. Or God told the Israelites, listen, three times a year you go to Jerusalem and you worship me. And listen, don't worry about your stuff. No one will even want it. What? How can you say that, God? Because I control everything. and no, They'll look at your stuff and say, ah, we don't even want that. You're safe. You come and worship me and don't worry about things. That's my God. Okay? That is my God. And I love Him. Absolutely sovereign. You can understand that. I think you understand His sovereignty, but you understand that His sovereignty extends to our every pain. It is biblically wrong to say that God merely permits pain. 
Pain is something that God is actively involved in. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way. God, from all eternity, did, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. If it happened, God did it. The Bible puts it this way. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. He has a plan in eternity. He works that plan. God does not permit. He ordains. When we say that God permits something to happen, we often mean that God, in His heart of hearts, really didn't want it to happen, but He allows it for some reason. It's not what He wanted. This is not biblical. God works all things according to the counsel of His will. The NIV puts it, Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. He doesn't permit pain. He plans it. All that comes to pass in our lives is according to the eternal plan of the all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving and great God and our Father. And if you know Him as all-wise, and you know Him as all-loving, then you know He's not making any mistakes. The sovereignty of God is absolute. It's irresistible and it's infinite. God does as He pleases, only as He pleases, always as He pleases, and whatever takes place in time is but the outworking of which He decreed from eternity. Now, if that's too strong for you, you do not understand the God of the Bible. I love Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. See, you can do that when you're sovereign. You can do whatever you please because nothing can stop you. Okay? He couldn't do whatever He pleased if He wasn't sovereign. Can you do whatever you please? You can try. If God was merely to permit suffering, He wouldn't be doing what He pleased. Just be allowing some things to happen. Yahweh is sovereign. And we need to learn to trust Him in all our circumstances. Now, to me, it is comforting. Some, some people have difficulty with the idea of God being sovereign, like Kirshner. You know, it's just how can that be? I take comfort in it because I know no matter what I'm going through, my Father is in control of it. That brings me peace. To think that things are out of control and, you know, whatever's happening is by the will of man, that's scary. Look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. You know Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. But I want to show you something that's in this hall of faith. Verse 33 says, Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. You know, I think it's clear the dominant thought in all these examples is triumph over adversity, victory in battle because of faith in God. This is one side of the experience of faith, but there's another. See, verses 35b through 38 give the other side of the picture. He says, women received back their dead by resurrection. That's the first half of the verse. I don't know why they split the verses here. Because the second half of the verse says, others were tortured. We like the first half. Women received 
back, they're dead. But that's awesome. Great. Our God is a God of resurrection. Others were tortured. We don't like that. We go from victory to torture in the same verse. Believers grasp this. Faith is not always rewarded in this life. They were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and scourging, yes, chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. These are believers. These are men of faith. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Does that sound like health wealth to you? Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Here's a group of people who didn't gain great victories on the battlefield. They didn't perform great feats for Yahweh, but they trusted Yahweh when the day was dark and the night was long. Their suffering was great, and there was no deliverance for them at all. But they trusted. Verse 37 said they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. These believers, these men of faith, it says they were put to death with a sword. Now I want you to notice a contrast here. Back in 34, it says they were put to death with the sword, verse 37. Then 34 says they escaped the edge of the sword. These are men of faith, both of them. Some escaped, some were put to death. What's the difference? Was it the ones who were put to death didn't have faith? No, they're being lifted up as men of faith. You know, David escaped the sword, <coughs> escaped it to Goliath, escaped it to Saul. There's many other examples of men who escaped the sword. But through faith, some were slain with the sword. You know, Elijah escaped Jezebel's vengeance, but other prophets of the Lord were slain by the sword at that time. The same thing is true in the apostolic age. Herod Agrippa killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When Herod tried to do the same thing to Peter, God delivered Peter. Peter's in prison on that very night when Herod was about to bring him forward. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side. He must have been sleeping pretty sound, which tells me he wasn't really sweating what was going on. You know, he's just kind of resting in Yahweh. Okay, I'm really sound asleep here. He strikes him, get up, quickly! And his chains fell off. James, the brother of John, is put to death. Peter's chains fall off his hands. By faith, one lived. By faith, the other died. James is put to death and Peter is set free. Just because we're Christians and love Yahweh doesn't mean that things are going to always turn out the way we want them to. All things will work together for good, but we may not like how they turn out. And we need to trust Yahweh in the bad times as well as the good. Put yourself in the shoes of James' wife and then in Peter's. One is grieving over the murder of her husband. The other rejoices over the miraculous deliverance of hers. Peter's wife rejoices and thanks God. What does James' wife do? Was God any less sovereign in the death of James than He was in the deliverance of Peter? No. Is God's sovereignty only in the good circumstances of our life? 
No, but many people want to think that. If it's good, we praise God. If we don't like it, the devil did it or somebody. We've got to blame somebody else. The Bible teaches God is sovereign over what we call good and what we call bad. And both are very relative, okay? Believer, no pain, no suffering of any kind comes to us apart from the sovereign administration of a loving Heavenly Father, which brings me to my next point. Pain has a purpose in our lives. That's why God allows it. He's not mean, He's not vindictive. There's a purpose in all pain. Since Yahweh is sovereign, since He's all-wise, every pain we experience has a purpose to it. Well, what's the purpose of pain? There's a lot of them in Scripture. I want to give you a few this morning just so you can see, you know, maybe in your own life you can see some of these things working out. There's all kinds of lessons to be learned. I want to give you a few of them. First of all, pain can be caused by our sin. You understand that? Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, talking to the people, the believers at Corinth, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number die. That's what he means by sleep. They're not taking a nap. They're dying. Alright? They're sick and they're dying. They're experiencing great pain because of their sinfulness. And I think it's always a good example to a good idea to examine your life when you're going through suffering to figure out what's why is this? Is there something wrong here? If you think it's a, a result of sin, then you need to repent. Now, as a young Christian, I got the swine flu vaccination mandatory by my government. And I was totally paralyzed from the neck down because of it, with Guillain-Barre syndrome. It was probably two days into it and I knew what was going on. All right, God had been trying to get my attention. I knew He'd called me to preach, and I was busy doing a lot of other stuff. And I said, I'll get around to it when I get time. Well, you know, He's got a way of getting your attention. And as I lay there, like I said, paralyzed from the neck down, thinking, okay, <laughs> I can't fight this. I'll do what you want me to do. All right, I'll go. Well, you know, and, and there were some well-meaning people in our church, and they came in and they told us, the reason you're sick is... Kathy at the time was collecting owls. She had little figurines of owls all over. And they said, owls are evil and you're sick because you have the owls. And I said, you people are really foolish, okay? These owls are not making me sick. It's the sin of my life that's making me sick. And so I dealt with it, you know. And I actually recovered and, you know, got out of that hospital and could walk again. So I praise the Lord for that. But I knew what it was. I knew. No one else knew. But I knew what was going on. And I want to give you a caution here. We need to be careful not to conclude that because someone is going through great tragedy, there must be something wrong with their lives. There must be some sin. The righteous suffer along with the wicked. Paul suffered greatly, not for sin. Don't be one of Job's comforters. Yahweh judged those fools. Okay, He judged them. Because they weren't speaking of Him what was right, as His servant Job was. And when I say examine your own life, that's exactly what I mean. I'm not saying examine somebody else's. Well, isn't that easy to do? Boy, they must have messed up. Good, you know. Well, that's not right at all. You don't know a thing about their life, you know? You need to examine your own life. Other people need to have compassion and consideration. Alright, so it can be caused by our sin, but 
Pain helps us to mature in our practical Christian lives. Yahweh uses pain as a training tool. He lovingly and faithfully uses pain to develop personal righteousness, maturity, and our walk with Him. Hebrews 12, 5-6 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of our Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and He scourges every son who He receives. The word discipline is from the Greek word paideia. It means education or training by implication, disciplinary, disciplinary connection, correction. Yahweh uses suffering and pain in our lives to help us to mature as believers. I think I've shared with this with you before, but I was on a mandatory visitation schedule from the church that I went to. You know, you had to go out and visit these people, and I'm like, and I was something to do with money. I think we we're trying to raise funds or something, you know. So I was really detesting this, you know. First of all, you're making me go beg people for money. Not my thing at all. Well, I went to this man's house. He attended the church. I didn't know him, you know. So I'm there and just happened to have a talk with him. And man, I just, I sat there for a long time listening to him. Just a godly man. Just so in love. He was glowing. But what he shared with me was this personal pain. His wife is, they had a wonderful relationship and his wife had got some disease and she was totally incapacitated, paralyzed in the bed, couldn't speak. And he was caring for her day and night. He had a relationship with Yahweh that made me jealous. He had that because of the pain of life had brought him to a point of maturity. We want the easy road and we want the deep fellowship. I don't think they go together, believers. I really don't. Pain weans us from self-reliance. You know this one? You ever experienced this one in your life? 2 Corinthians 1.9 Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know, I think many men and women have testified that God taught them this lesson, that they're dependent upon Him by taking away all those things they mistakenly depend upon and lean upon. You know, when everything else is gone and you realize, i got to trust God in this. Much of the pain we experience is to bring about a continued dependence upon the grace and power of God. It's designed to cause us to walk by God's ability, His power, His provision, rather than our own. It causes us to turn from our resources to trust totally and completely in Him. Yahweh uses pain, believers. It helps us grow up. Our pain can be an evangelistic tool. How do you like that one? How's that work? How can our suffering be evangelistic? Well, let me tell you what. If you were at that service yesterday, I think you would have seen the suffering of life that just was honoring and glorifying to God. You know, it made people see this, this God is incredible. These people serve. Paul said it this way in Philippians 1.12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He's in prison. He's being persecuted by other believers. And he said, you know what? It's, it's good. It's good. When believers handle suffering joyfully with stability, it becomes a marvelous testimony to the power and life of Christ within. It provides opportunities, suffering does, to manifest and magnify the power of God. 
I often say, you've, you've heard me say, you know, when life is everything you want it to be and you've got your mansion and your cars and your money and, you know, you're healthy and everything's fine and you say, praise God, people go, yeah, sure you will. Who wouldn't? But when you're going through the pit of despair, when everything around you is falling apart and you lift your eyes to God and praise Him, that gives people cause to stop and say, what do they have that I need? When you praise Him from the depths of despair, when you praise Him in the storm, that causes people to pay attention. Our pain helps us to develop our capacity and sympathy in comforting others. This is another one I've learned through experience, people. When you've been through it, you can comfort others who are going through it. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, watch, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You get that? God helps me through a trial. He he gets me through it. Now I can help somebody else because He helped me get through it. He goes on, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance... So also is our comfort is abundant through Christ. Often Yahweh sends suffering to give us the opportunity to minister to one another. He uses the pain in our life for the benefit of others when you encourage others, when you get alongside of them and you help them. You encourage them, you pray with them through it. You know, you can approach someone going through a difficult time saying, listen, I've been exactly where you're at. And Yahweh got me through it. How can I help you? How can I encourage you through it? I've been there and I've got through. You know, to me, it's so much more encouraging when someone's praying for me that knows what I'm going through. If you don't have never experienced it, you're praying, I appreciate that. But when you've been through it, I know your heart is joined. You know what's, go- what's happening and you're there. It's comforting. Pain and affliction reveal spiritual needs. Psalm 119.67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Here was a man, he's enjoying considerable material prosperity. His life's full of satisfying things, but he didn't see that his natural propensity was disguising his spiritual bankruptcy. His affliction reveals his spiritual need. Remember, not all pain and suffering is intended as a warning against spiritual decline, but there are times when that is the case. And we see this also in the life of Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. To keep Paul from getting a big head, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. So he'd realize who he was and you know keep that connection with the ground, you know. We all have our thorns in the flesh, be they physical, emotional, psychological, cultural, financial, educational. Yahweh gives each of us a measure of pain to keep us humble and to keep us trusting Him rather than ourselves. We need to thank the Lord for that stuff that keeps us humble. 
those circumstances, those sufferings, because Yahweh resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And I want, I want grace. I don't want resistance. There are many reasons given in the Bible why God sends suffering in our lives. But the supreme reason, I think, the ultimate reason for all He does is we grow through pain to bring glory to Yahweh. Chief end of man, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So whatever you're experiencing, the purpose is to bring glory to Him. Yeshua taught His disciples this lesson in John 9. As they passed by, they saw a blind man from birth. And His disciples asked Him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Okay, they're, what's their bottom line conclusion? Somebody sinned here, okay? This guy's blind, somebody sinned. Either they hadn't studied Job or they didn't learn anything from it, okay? Their false assumption was, there's a terrible sin here, somebody messed up, that's why this guy is suffering. All right. Well, Yeshua corrects their misunderstanding by teaching that suffering is not a result of personal sin all the time. Yeshua answered, it was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents. Now, he's not saying he didn't sin or his parents didn't sin. He said, this is not the cause of this problem. But, it was that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. He tells him this man is blind, not because he sinned, because his parents sinned. He's blind that God may be glorified through him. Here's where we find comfort in our pain. It's not an isolated case. This man's pain served the purpose of glorifying God. All pain is designed to glorify God. When we're in the midst of pain and suffering, we need to remember that in an ultimate sense, all is right in the world because he's still in control. Things are operating as they should. Not one thing happens in our life that a loving, sovereign father doesn't want to happen. And when we're in the midst of a severe trial, it can be very difficult to celebrate God's glory. When we're hurting, we tend to be rather consumed with ourselves and find it very difficult with much sincerity to say, I'm so glad God brought this pain in my life. It just gives me an opportunity to bring glory to Him. It's not too often how we feel. So let me give you another reason to celebrate our pain. We have a guarantee from our Lord that everything is working out the way He wants it to. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. This is a promise that nothing bad will ever happen. Now listen, (laughs) again, good, bad are relative terms. To you, bad might be uncomfortable. Okay? I don't like being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is bad. That might be good in God's eyes because you need to be uncomfortable to help you to move. I hope these words of Paul are not so familiar to you that they lose their power. This verse should always give us hope. I think we aggravate our pain when we don't take this promise to heart. You know, oftentimes we can't see the good people. We cannot see it. How could it be good? That's where trust comes in. I don't know how a lot of things could be good. I don't see a lot of things happening that to me are good. Not in my mind. But I want you to remember that Romans 8.28 isn't an isolated text on a fortune cookie, okay? It's got to be studied in context. And Romans 8, 18-30 is a unit that deals with the subject of comfort and suffering. Comfort and suffering. This is what God comforts us with. That He knows. 
We may have no idea how our pain can ever be seen as good. And we may never know on this earth how God is glorified in it. But in our inability to understand all of reality is no reason not to believe what God has revealed in His Word. He has told us He is glorified in our pain. And He's promised that pain will work together for good. And faith is believing God. It's trusting Him. You promised. I don't understand it. And that's why so often, people, we have to praise Him in the storm. We don't see the outcome. And that's why your theology is so important. If you understand that God is all-wise, nothing escapes, escapes His wisdom. He is the infinite wisdom. And you add that to the fact that He is a loving God. He's all-wise and He's loving. He knows every end from every beginning and He's planned it all out and He loves me. <sighs> I can rest. Doesn't make it comfortable. Oftentimes it's very painful. But as our theology strengthens us and lifts us up, we continue to honor Him through the midst of it. We need to remember the wonderful truth. He's in the midst of the storm with us. He's sovereign. He's working all things together for good. And when we don't understand, we need to trust. We need to trust Him. Let me share with you a testimony of a man, real man, who understood that all pain and suffering in our lives is under the control of a loving and a good God. Horatio G. Spafford. Anyone know who he is? He was a dedicated Christian businessman whose life was much like that of Job. Sorrow and grief seemed to follow him wherever he went. He lost his only son at the age four to pneumonia. Later, he lost a large part of his life savings in the Great Chicago Fire when all the buildings on the waterfront burned down. In 1873, he booked passage for a family, his family for a trip to England because he wanted to attend one of the great revivals sweeping across the country at that time. However, the day before they were to leave, an important business thing delayed him. So he sent his wife and his three daughters on and he went to follow the ship the next day. Well, an iceberg struck his family's ship and it went down very quickly. All three daughters perished. Only his wife survived. She sent a telegram back to America simply stating, Saved alone. Heartsick on his voyage to meet his wife in England, he asked the ship's captain to let him know when they were at the precise place where his daughters plunged into an icy death. He went up on the deck to pray and to be comforted by God. And while he did, he thought it was so peaceful. He said, it's like a river now. How terrible it must have been that night. And the words and the feelings kept pouring into his mind. And he went back to his stateroom and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. It is well because a sovereign God is in control and He's working all things together for His glory and for our good. There is a purpose in our pain. And as we trust Him in the midst of pain, we will bring Him glory. We will move in maturity as a Christian and deeper and deeper fellowship with our loving God. Let's pray.
Father, I'll be the first to confess I don't like pain. I don't like sorrow. I don't like grief. But I've seen you teach me. I've seen you mature me through it. No, I don't like it. I trust you in it. And somehow it takes everything in me sometimes to trust you because I just don't get it. But I thank you, Lord, for your patience with me. I thank you for your grace towards my imperfect trust. Oftentimes I cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, help us align our theology up with the Word of God. To know you intimately, Lord, that we rest in the comfort of your love for us. Lord, you loved us enough to butcher your Son on our behalf. May that motivate us to trust you in every circumstance of life. Amen.